have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. So, Khalil. Yeah. The Black Lodge. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a transition. You've learned the Segway game from a master. I don't know if it's me that you learned it from, but that was excellent. No, I, I, I think I used actual, like, subtlety by blatantly saying the name. Yes, nothing is more subtle and, than a blunt <laughs> trauma to the head. It's better than trying to take a map around the point until eventually you get lost in its destination. So I think I did good. I mean, if there's anything that fits Dale Cooper's journey to the Black Lodge, it might be getting lost in your destination, going (laughs) off loosely a map. Uh Uh-huh. He finds Pete's blue truck uh, parked alongside the woods. He enters the woods with uh, Truman close behind. Which, by the way, as looks like Truman's getting like a good Mm -hmm. sort of idea of the situation, just like looking around. That's when Cooper is just like, no, Truman, over here, and just tries to redirect him and tries to guide him over to where the true destination is. Uh, Cooper knows where the plot is. And Truman has got this flashlight that when you shine it ahead, it has sort of like a ringed sort of image to it. You compared it to an owl's eye when we were watching it together. Yeah, it especially helped because owls were hooting. They were hooting. And so the flashlight, first person perspective through the woods, I really love. Yeah. I'm a big sucker for like woods at night being a natural scary thing. I find woods at night with a flashlight to be scarier than most like horror movie experiences. (laughs) Just because like, dude, it's dark and creepy out there. Who knows what's out there, man? Mm -hmm. I I find that very effective. And Cooper gets a little bit in and then suddenly he just kind of stops. He like stiffens up and turns slightly, almost pivoting. And, you know, Truman notices this. He's like, Coop? And as if transfixed, in a slightly different, more serious tone, Cooper says, Harry, I have to go on alone. And he takes Truman's light, and he proceeds again on his own with Truman sort of following at a distance. What do you think happened exactly with Cooper saying he needed to go alone? Do you think Cooper was right to go alone? I think that Cooper has a very large sense of intuition. I think that... He definitely knows where the plot has to lead him. If emotions had a compass, I think that he'd have it in his hands. I can't say whether or not it's the fully wisest decision. Uh-huh. but Because things went time, south pretty quick. It is the decision. What do you think would have happened if Truman would have gone with him? Do you think the portal would have opened? I'm going to say that it may have still opened, but I don't think that Cooper felt Truman was necessarily ready. In fact, if I could attest to a potential scenario... Cooper's going to be experiencing some things that are very Cooper-esque. Okay, what does that mean? Things that we can attribute to Cooper one way or another. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that Like his memories, can... his emotions, his experiences reflecting back at him. Things that we parallel with Cooper. You told me before that there was a cut scene with a mm-hmm. certain character in this. Yeah, I'll spill my beans right now. Yeah. Uh, if you look over at the Twin Peaks wiki, there's a citation in there. And it talks about how there was a cut scene involving Josie. We know this because Frank Silva, the actor who plays Bob, at one point during a convention said it, like talked about it, and he didn't realize it hadn't been actually shot and shown. So mm-hmm. other people were like, wait, what scene involving Josie? And he's <laughs> like, uh. uh. And then later, uh, Richard Bamer, the actor who plays Benjamin Horn, he's mm-hmm. really into photography, and he took photos on set, and probably photos David Lynch wouldn't have wanted him to take. <laughs> and some of those photos were of Josie's stunt double. 
So we do have a clear indication and evidence from numerous, you know, multiple actors and photographic evidence that there had been something involving Josie. Now, my hunch would be that it's probably not a very big scene. I I'm going to guess that it was something small, probably along the lines of what Leland and Maddie had, maybe yeah. a small little moment. Given the rest of the episode, I'd hardly expect answers yeah. out of that episode. I think if we're thinking, oh, man, we almost had a Josie explanation. I, I don't know. I, I don't expect that out of Lynch in this episode. I think that... I'm not going to expect explanations in general. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if there was a point to sort of imply mm -hmm. Josie's appearance inside the Black Lodge, I think that that may be a reason why it may be shot. But unless, like, Truman was going to end up waiting in the waiting room as well. That's another question, too, is that if Truman had gone in, would he have been side by side with Coop, or would they have immediately been going to separate versions of the waiting room? My inclination right now... And this is where, even though I know things past this episode, obviously I know the return, I know other features. I do kind of get the sense, though, that even with my a little bit of extra knowledge, I don't know the answer to these questions. And my gut then is that if Cooper had entered with Truman, I think they would have gone to separate versions. And I, I really think they would have been split up by the lodges. I think that Truman might have experienced his own personal dilemma. I don't know if he would have got any better or worse than Cooper did. But I, I kind of am of the opinion at this point that it picked out Cooper for Cooper's mission and only overlapped with Wyndham Earl at certain moments. Wyndham yeah. Earl and Annie were experiencing their own little nightmare as well. <laughs> I, I, I get the sense that Truman wouldn't have been with Cooper the whole time. I feel that Wyndham Earl and Annie already experienced their trauma. Yeah. I think that they, that was already done by the time that Cooper had arrived. Mm -hmm. I think that if Truman and Cooper were to go in, I think the Lodge bears all. I think that instead of having this sort of series of forces of one person, it would be two, and that would be to the near point of madness, trying yeah. to see everyone's sort of worst hits. Now, that's what I call the Black Lodge, number 23, <laughs> right? inside, with their just horrifying instances for the mm -hmm. both of them. That would have been not only just confusing in general for anyone to watch, but I think that Cooper could also acknowledge that the Black Lodge is meant to test a person, so it's best to make sure that... You can focus on your problems directly, one at a time. On a related note, I have seen some theorizing out there, admittedly not a whole lot, but some theorizing out there about if Truman had gone with Cooper, that possibly it would have benefited Cooper, uh, his experience. And I was looking at this one uh, Facebook group that I'm in with Twin Peaks. It's called Twin Peaks Between Two Worlds. I don't remember the user that posted this, okay. but they were speculating that potentially the love, the um, sort of friendship, and strong bond that we've noted throughout the entire series between mm -hmm. Truman and Cooper, that force of love would have been almost a protecting agent uh, from the Lodge's attacks and in its evil. So my question, of course, this is Garland Briggs' question, <laughs> is love enough? Is the, the bond of friendship between Truman and Cooper enough to keep them safe in the Black Lodge? No, because I believe in one or two different stars, which we did speak about earlier, and that was either A, this lodge may very well have no true solution. It is simply the call of something greater, a great reward at the end, but only to or twist B, the forces of individuals. I don't think love is enough for someone to find inner peace and find that sense of what the White Lodge might be looking mm -hmm. for in a person. I think that it is a path that you can get help along the way. You can get help getting there and you can have someone watching your back, but there's some points that you're going to have to rely on your own abilities or your own personal growth. I'm hearing so much wind noise attacking this building as you were saying that. I don't know if that's an omen of good 
importune fortune or bad? It's Bob knocking on the door to trying to get stop me before I say too much about the Black Lodge. Knock, knock, knocking on podcaster's door. <laughs> so back to the lodge. Back to the lodge. We are in the hallway when Cooper enters, and we have the familiar chevron pattern on the floor, the Black and white, although oftentimes it's shown almost brown and white, depending on the lighting of the actual red room. And in that hallway, we also have red curtains featured throughout and a statue. And this is a statue that I told you ages ago to put a pin in it when Gordon Cole was talking to Cooper. He was talking about the the statue of the lady without arms, yes. Venus de Milo. Yes. Uh, that is a clear reference to what the statue is. Now, I don't believe, nor have I checked, admittedly, <laughs> that the earlier scene with the Red Room in episode four and in the international pilot, okay. I don't believe that scene ever had Venus de Milo as a statue because I think it only happened in the waiting room, and that waiting room statue is actually different. So unless I'm just misremembering or they changed the detail, when Gordon Cole mentioned the Venus de Milo statue, that would have been the first time I believe that statue had been shown represented or mentioned in the series. Okay. Which is curious then, because was that foreshadowing or was that just kind of a thing that they later retroactively decided to utilize? I don't know. If it is foreshadowing, is there a connection between Gordon Cole and all of that or not? Why was that referenced by Gordon Cole? It seems like a very specific random thing to just throw out there as a reference point in a conversation at a diner. Uh, then again, it's Gordon Cole. He's kind of a strange man. Well, what about like the statue itself? Is there any sort of representation that Venus de Milo really does? Or what's yeah, I was up gonna get into that. I'm just, I'm just making sure it's it's important for the red herring. So grenade. I did a research, and I did a research on a website called Wikipedia. It is the premier research website that <laughs> cannot be faulted. Uh -huh. It is verified by me looking at it. Yep, sure. So this is, and I quote, the Wikipedia words: created sometime between 130 and 100 BC. The statue is believed to depict Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and beauty, although some scholars claim it is the sea goddess Amphrodite, venerated on Milos. It is a marble sculpture, slightly larger than life-size, at 203 centimeters, or for us other people, 6 feet 8 inches with our dumb system. Part of an arm and the original plinth were lost following the statue's discovery. The statue is named after Aphrodite's Roman name, Venus the Greek island of Milos, where it was discovered. Also from Wikipedia, the Venus de Milo's arms are missing for unknown reasons. There is a filled hole near below her right breast that originally contained a metal tenon that would have supported the separately carved arm. Without arms, it is unclear what the statue originally looked like, but textile archaeologist Elizabeth Wayland Barber notes that the posture of Venus de Milo suggests that she may have been hand-spinning. And also, just a random fact, also Wikipedia, the 1956 song Brown-Eyed Handsome Man, written by Chuck Berry and covered by Buddy Holiday, contains the lyrics, quote, The Venus de Milo was a beautiful lass. She held the world in the palm of her hand. She lost both her arms in a wrestling match to win a brown-eyed handsome man. Uh, this is a bit of a reach, but brown-eyed handsome man could describe Cooper. Oh, okay, gotcha. I was thinking that we were somehow going to, like, go straight into Nadine, like, won a wrestling oh, match no. and got the brown-eyed hair, brown-eyed man named Snake, if he has right, brown eyes. if he does. I checked Cooper's eyes. I zoomed in on eye pictures of Cooper to make sure. <laughs> so, 
if we take that anywhere, um, 1950s is a big calling card for Lynch. You haven't really seen enough of Lynch's films to know that for sure yet. Okay. But even just the double R diner and a lot of the aesthetics of Twin Peaks are callbacks to the 50s to some degree. Okay. And so I don't think it's that actually much of a stretch to believe that it could be partly referenced to the Chuck Berry song. Um, considering we also have Jimmy Scott, like a more of a classical style vocalist here yeah. uh, in the same episode. But that idea of it's sort of a wrestling match where the arms were lost to win a brown-eyed handsome man, there's a suspicious amount of things involving arms between the one-armed man and also the... Yeah, the, the three-armed man, the Spider-Man. Uh, and then also this, again, is a bit of a stretch, but there's a lot of associations with Laura in arms. There's the idea of her arms bend backwards we got from episode four that I, you know, I look just like Laura Palmer. I'm her cousin, but sometimes my arms bend back. And then there's also the weird arm gesture she does with the meanwhile... You know, with the the cupped hand gesture, it looks like she's just like presenting something, yes. like uh, how one host would present something behind a curtain and something like a game show for the Price is Right. So I think that that might be intentional because that's like the one of the universal hand motions for presenting behind the yeah. curtain. So some thoughts on Venus de Milo for me, and then I kind of want your thoughts. Uh, we have something that might be depicting the goddess of love and beauty. Yeah. Love and beauty very much could be available to open the door, but also Aphrodite could also be associated with lust and sort of that uh, attraction, which can be fatal. And then you also have uh, Amphrodite, a sea goddess. I'm less confident in how that would connect if we were to use that. Did you look into the sea goddess? What no. That might be a problem. Like that, well, There may be like a story or something involved with like the background of a sea goddess. Uh, hello, hello, hello. I did some research. I found a very important detail. I found on Wikipedia that the pincers of a crab are sometimes shown to be attached to her temples. I'm going to assume that means her places of worship and not her like temples on her head. Not her like forehead temples. Okay. Uh, that's my important information that I found. If you want anything else out of me, it's going to take more time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it's not a very actually large article on Wikipedia for, for this particular goddess. I don't think she's a very major one. Um, she is known to be a kind of concert of Poseidon. Poseidon is formerly the god of the underworld. So you could do something with that. I'm still more inclined to believe uh, Aphrodite would make more sense thematically and tonally. Okay. But there's something you can do with that. I mean, this episode is all about reflections and duality, so I would want to sometime check out that some more, and perhaps even the listener can check out that some more. I feel like there's a lot of times, Professor, where you say you'd like to check things out, and you don't check them out. So I, this is one you can hold yourself to. I can I can check things out on my own time. I'm sorry if I don't bring it up in the podcast again. Listener, if you want the Professor to bring things back up in the podcast again, <laughs> call him out on it. <laughs> call him out. Don't call me out. I don't make mistakes like that. Uh, yeah, sure. Any other thoughts that you have on the Venus de Milo statue? Without the other prior information I don't want to necessarily go too far but I have to say it certainly is a striking image that works very effectively especially in the flashing lights mm -hmm. when we are introducing the fantastic sounds coming from a man across the room mm -hmm. um, so that fantastic sound you're referring to uh, is coming from the waiting room a little bit about the waiting room dimension here so we got another statue it is not the Venus de Milo it is the Venus de Medici which is of Aphrodite. So again, more evidence that it could be both Aphrodite. There's also a Saturn lamp next to Cooper's chair. Cooper enters this waiting room area, and there's a, like flashing lights pretty much throughout the whole episode. There's no epilepsy warning. There probably should have been. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of flashing lights that occur at this moment. And there's a spotlight on the man from the place as he dances into the jazzy instrumental of the song. He sits down in an armchair. Which, by the way, can I ask if whether or not there was flashing lights in that one dancing scene uh, so long ago in one of the rare credit sequences that is not Laura Palmer? I don't believe so. Okay. I'm confident there wasn't. 
Well, I, know, actually, I know there was a credit scene where he's yes, dancing on the floor. Yes. I'm just trying to remember if there was I flashing. do not believe the flashing lights existed prior in the Red Room. Okay. So the man from the place sits down in an armchair, and he looks toward Jimmy Scott. Jimmy Scott being the singer in the Red Room. That is his real name, not a character name. Yeah. He is singing this song under the sycamore trees. Yeah. This song was written, the lyrics were written by David Lynch. Uh-huh. And the tune, I believe Angelo Badalamenti helped with that. Yeah. Notably, Lynch with the lyrics here, it wasn't like a Jimmy Scott song that they just decided to co-op. It was written specifically for Twin Peaks and for this moment. Uh-huh. A little bit about Jimmy Scott. So he had a lot of success in the 40s and 50s. Again, 1950s, calling card for Lynch. Okay. Scott's career faltered in the early 1960s. He slid into obscurity before making a comeback in the 1990s. I wonder how much this episode had to do with that. <laughs> his unusual singing voice was due to Kalman syndrome, a rare genetic disorder that limited his height to 4 feet 11 inches, or, for people who use proper measuring systems, 150 centimeters, until the age of 37, when he grew by 8 inches, a.k.a. 20 centimeters. The syndrome prevented him from reaching classic puberty and left him with a high voice and unusual timbre. So the way I'm thinking of this right now is that you have a 1950s singer who is known for a height disorder and also an abnormal voice. I think it makes sense why he's used by David Lynch in the Red Room. Given we have a giant, we have a short man, Mm -hmm. and we have distorted vocals all over the place in that area. Which... It's the most notable thing I got to say from this is that Cooper is completely silent throughout his stay. Mm -hmm. And that just leaves anyone who happens to be at the lodge to speak in this reverse distortion. Well, Cooper does say one thing. He does have one moment where he talks. Where? He talks when he's talking to Wyndham Earl, and Wyndham Earl says, you know, if you give me your soul, I will let Annie live. And he has the distortion. Cooper does not. Cooper responds, yes, I will, and he does not have distorted in his voice. If you give me your soul, I let Annie live. I will. Huh. Okay. Yeah, how does it feel to know I was right? There's so much distortion that happens in it so quickly that I suppose my mind just tricked itself to That's think fair. that way. So. I, I, I joke, I joke. It's, it's, it's a gag. It's a little bit. Um, no, no, I, 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 I'm just bringing it up because I find it genuinely interesting. I always find those points where the meat in our heads well, happens to, like, double over in instances like this, especially when you get really invested in the scene. Well, here's where I'm going to stake a little bit of what we were talking about earlier and kind of bring that in. Like I said before, I believe that if Truman would have gone in, he would have been to a separate entity of the Black Lodge. And my reason for that is I would imagine that everything that's going on here is inside Cooper's mind. In the sense that he is taken somewhere, but I think it's less of a place and more of a place of mind. In the sense that Wyndham Earl and Annie are there, and their eyes are not grayed out. They are themselves. They're not the doppelganger versions. Mm -hmm. But when Annie and when Wyndham Earl speak, they speak backwards. They speak reversed. Cooper does not, which leads me to believe that Cooper is the only one here in this plane of existence that is of the normal world, essentially. That he's been taken to a different plane of reality, basically. Okay. Wyndham Earl and Annie are there, but I think it's almost like when you're turning the radio station and you hear, like, static, and then you hear, like, another station kind of come in over the static, I think briefly their lines crossed over. So what you're saying is that uh, Cooper is currently playing his game, and uh, both Wyndham Earl and Annie are there, but they're their avatars speaking through a distorted I kind of think so. Okay. And also the moment where Annie and the whole Annie Caroline thing is happening. Caroline has the gray eyes. 
but Annie has the regular eyes. Annie is a living, real person who is also experiencing Black Lodge in her own way right now. Yeah. Same as Wyndham Earl. I believe that Wyndham Earl, when he has the flame taken out of his head, that is Wyndham Earl. <laughs> but notice again that everyone speaks backwards but Cooper, which means believe that it's all in Cooper's head. Not that doesn't mean it's not real. Dreams can be real. But I do think that it's happening for Cooper. Not to mention, there's also the strange thing that Annie does end up saying that she knows the man who killed him. Yeah. Followed by Carolyn, who says that uh, she's... It's me. Yep. I'm still alive. Uh, so that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, we have Jimmy Scott under the sycamore trees. I feel like you have things you want to say about that song. You mentioned earlier the Zacchaeus connection. Was there anything else you wanted to say about under the sycamore trees? It's a song that, especially the way that it ends up getting worded on how two people are seeing one another mm -hmm. with one within the branches and the other below the trees, just looking... Reflections! Reflections. But also, that is very much the situation between Zacchaeus as well as Jesus. This, The reason why he's up in the trees is just so that he can see him. It's this very aspiring sort of sight on trying to look towards something that maybe someone could deem as greater. And having the, a journey such as through the Black Lodge and Zacchaeus, he being this big tax collector and for all that the Bible has to say mm. about tax collecting. And let, let's just say that it's definitely a prelude to aspiration, to wanting to yeah. get through this Black Lodge situation. You, you do you win me over a little bit to your Zacchaeus theory when it comes to the song lyrics, because it does say, I'll see you in the branches. Mm -hmm. And if we think about Zacchaeus up in the branches looking at Jesus... Yeah. He would see him in the branches. Yeah, and instead of being like Cooper sitting out on those weak little uh, sycamore trees that will probably snap under his weight because they're very small and tiny around mm -hmm. the circle. And again, I still stand by my stance there because remember, 12, around in a circle, round table, King right. Arthur. Right. <laughs> um, speaking of waiting at tables, <laughs> uh, brief little interlude. We have Andy and Truman outside of the Red Room, outside of Gra Glastonbury Grove, uh, sitting, kind of waiting outside. And it's been, at this point, overnight. Now it's daytime. And we have Andy asking Truman all these kind of questions, you know, if you want to have coffee. Yeah. Plate special? Yeah. Do you want dessert? Yeah. You want pie? No response. And... A few things to note, right? One, so, is it that he's getting dessert and pie, or is the dessert <laughs> pie? So I'm, I'm inclined <laughs> to believe that when Andy asked that, I think he meant the dessert to be pie. I think the idea of it stopping and not getting response on pie, given all we've talked about, pie being sort of a metaphor or symbol of something pure and something almost perfect, the fact that he doesn't respond to it, whether he wants pie or not, I think is telling. I think that it can also be a very, I know it is metaphorical, but it's also something that could be emotional response. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things that Cooper really did get excited for, sure, coffee is one of them, but he said that this was the best damn yeah. cherry pie. It's where pies go when they die. Yep. He, it so is, you're thinking it reminds him of Cooper. I think that. That's, an, that's a good theory. Yeah, I think that it it's really stopping him in his tracks because let's just face it, he's currently lost and worried for his friend that yeah. just walked through yeah. Mythical curtains. I, I think my original theory when I first watched it and probably still dominant in my mind is less interpretive and more just the sense of he stopped listening to Andy. Like, he's like, yep, yep, 
Yep, and then just kind of his mind is not with Andy's conversation. Okay. There might not be any particular significance to Pi being the last thing he ended on. He just is no longer with Andy's conversation. I think that also makes sense, too. I mean, there could also be more meanings. I mean, remember, reflections. Right, right. If there's not one meaning, there is two, if sure. not three. sure. Other things to mention, too, is that, you know, Truman has his right hand on the shotgun ready. Like, it feels like he's probably had his hand on the weapon for the past, like, 12 hours. Mm. Just, like, sitting there waiting. Uh, he's got his left hand almost permanently over his mouth. Like, he's just kind of at bated breath. And the knee propping up the elbow there. I imagine he hasn't moved an inch in, again, overnight. And I think when we see him later, when Cooper is in the bedroom at the Great Northern, and Doc Hayward has escaped his murder of Ben... And we're at the bedroom. <laughs> Presumably that's still later in the day. And if that's the case, that means Truman still probably hasn't slept. Truman has probably nonstop been after and with Cooper, which again, a testament to perhaps that bond and that strength of mm -hmm. their relationship, mm -hmm. at least on Truman's side. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Cooper was certainly there for him and wanted to be supportive with him after he lost Josie. I think that there is a deep mm -hmm. loyalty that he has mm -hmm. with Cooper. Returning to Cooper, we're back in the hallway. A distorted voice is occurring that I believe in the in the Netflix subtitles, and I believe the Blu-ray subtitles, it said was the man from another place. I'm inclined to believe it is too, although it's not quite clear. That says, I'm waiting for you. And we get this sort of camera perspective of first person going down the hallway uh, when that voice is being said. Is the first person perspective Cooper, Doppel Cooper, someone else? Is it even a person? Who knows? But it creates that sort of tense buildup of this slow presence looming through the hallway. We have a commercial break, a fade to black, right? Maybe the I'm waiting for you is directed to the fan, you know, the, the people watching at home. I'll wait for you to come back from your commercials advertising vehicles. <laughs> Grab your popcorn. We'll still be here. Yeah, just imagine already starting this episode, getting this far, and going to a commercial break on people just being like, okay. Anyone want more pie? <laughs> yeah, you gotta imagine a lot of Twin Peaks from the fan. Twin Peaks fans from the time were probably doing things like that. They probably had their coffee and donuts and pie on hand, ready to watch this, and just kind of, you know, this is what they were given. A lot of things happening in the waiting room here. We have the man from another place says, "When you see me again, it won't be me." What yes. do you make of that line? Oh, I have an idea on the, just the doppelgangers in general. I there's think, a lot of ways you can take this line. I think that's. This is where, when he walks past this room, mm -hmm. I think that the man from another place recognizes that he is certainly part of Cooper's journey. Mm -hmm. And any portion of the Black Lodge from this point on will be his mind pushing him to the limit. And I think that very much that isn't him. In fact, if I had to guess for the majority of these doppelgangers, it might be good old Bob. Okay. So next time you see the man from another place, it won't be him. It won't we be him. We do see a gray-eyed version of him quite consistently for the rest of the episode. Yes, we do see a gray-eyed version of him, and I think those gray-eyed versions, any point we see mm -hmm. them, is going to be Bob or a version of yes. Bob or someone Bob has affected. A shadow self yes. to some degree. Um, so that's one interpretation. I'm also, I've asked you before to put pin in things. I'm going to ask you to put a pin in this for several months. Bob. So I want you to put a pin in the line, when you see me again, it won't be me, said by the man from another place. Put a pin in that for several months, please. Bob. And this is where we get the man from the place saying that it is called the waiting room. He asks if you'd like some coffee. 
He says, some of your friends are here. <laughs> some of your friends are here. I don't think he was talking to Cooper. I think he was talking to me. You know why? Why? <laughs> because Senior Jewel Cup makes a reappearance. He does? And he doesn't have coffee. He's I- not here yet, though. You're jumping the gun a little. Aw. So the some of your friends are here line could refer to Wyndham Earl and Annie, who are definitely in the Black Lodge in some form at this time. It could also refer to the entities, whatever they are, Bob or elsewise, of Leland and Laura and Maddie and Caroline. Are they also Cooper's friends? Is Leland Cooper's friend? This is the waiting room. The friends are possibly present throughout the area, but I'm not fully convinced that they are fully his friends. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if those are fully them. I'm still... I think it's got to be Wyndham Earl and Annie, but... (laughs) Your friends are here. It might also just be them or anyone who appears in specifically the waiting room prior to the Black Lodge. Or it could even be possibly Andy and Truman outside the waiting room of the waiting room. They're (laughs) waiting outside the waiting room. Well, it would be there then. It's here. Well, I mean, they are technically in Glastonbury Grove right around that circle of trees in a physical, if you put a GPS like tracker on Cooper, he might still be in that spot. No, Cooper's in the dungeon right now. You can't be both inside the building and outside the building. Maybe he could be at two places at once. Reflections, baby. Okay, I don't think it works that way. You could. You could. I don't know how reflections work. Have you ever looked in a mirror? Have you ever looked in a mirror? Truman would be reacting if he was there. (laughs) I think he might be there in one sense, not there in another, is all I'm saying. We get Laura. We get Laura appearing. She says her little hello. She sits down. And then she does this thing where she snaps her fingers and points down. Steps down, yeah, it's a very unique action. I'm going to ask you to put a pin in that. (laughs) Is this a pin also in several months? No. Okay. But not for this episode. Not for this episode. (laughs) I won't tell you all the time, but I will just say that there are things we can talk about with that later as well. We'll talk about when we watch the movie Dune, because that's when it comes up. You could. You don't know. It could. (laughs) Dune was made before this. It could be a reference you don't even know about. (laughs) Then we have the infamous line, I'll see you again in 25 years. Meanwhile. And then presentary. Presenting hand gesture. Love the hand gesture. One of my favorite, like, just images. I don't know why. I just like the hand gesture. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, 25 years, I think the most obvious reference here would be to the episode four slash international pilot scene it also had in the Red Room where they had Dale Cooper aged up and they had Laura aged up. So the idea would be then that the 25 years later – could be referring to the thing where she walked over to Cooper and whispered in his ear. Yeah. Time is not working normally the way it does in our world in the Black Lodge or Red Room or whatever you want to call it. Or Twin Peaks. Or Twin Peaks in general. Time does not work. So I think the most obvious thing is 25 years later, it's just referring to the future Cooper, future Laura dream from earlier in the series. However, given the fact that the return does exist, it kind of takes a new meaning. It gets recontextualized. A lot of things in Twin Peaks get recontextualized after the fact. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. But it's always, you know, kind of thing to keep in the back of your mind that it probably wasn't intentional. Like one thing I found out fairly recently is that the term the return was something that apparently Showtime came up with. It wasn't something that like Mark Frost and David Lynch agreed on, which oh. even tells me that the idea of the return 
is something that retroactively kind of on accident got applied to the show. But the whole time we've been rewatching the show, I've been thinking about how apt that is as a title, how That's, good that is as a title. It's good not only for just like the idea of coming back and just overall notifying people that this back, but just imagine if like that didn't happen. It's like Twin Peaks. It's coming to Showtime. I think that many people might just assume that's the old show. You want to hear kind of something crazy? What's up? That's actually kind of what happened. It's called Twin Peaks, a limited series event. On the Blu-ray packages that are just that show, it's labeled where you buy it, and on the packaging, it just says Twin Peaks, a limited series event. Yeah. So that's where it gets really confusing among fans of the show. Some call it The Return. Some call it Season 3. And some call it Twin Peaks 2017 or Twin Peaks a limited series event. Yes. Which one is the correct title is really up to you. I think David Lynch usually just calls it Twin Peaks. I think it's considered like the next season. I think that us being present in this moment, it makes sense. And, and but being in that years, like when it right. came around and someone who has not thought or conceived yeah. of Twin Peaks in years. But it would have just showed up to a lot of people as Twin Peaks. Yeah. New episodes, yeah. <laughs> which again, if you think of it as season three, it is just new episodes of the show. It's the gum you like came back in style. I'm a big believer, by the way, and we'll talk a lot more about why later. I'm because a big you believer. Saw our face. You know a song. I... I'm a big believer in calling it the return, by the way. And I will die upon this hill. <laughs> and that's okay. If you decide you want to call it season three, be my guest. I think of the return as a sequel, not as another season. But we'll get to why when we get there. I look forward to having this debate with Khalil as I will be the victor. Even if we agree. Even if I we agree. Be, I'll, I will be If the we agree, I'll let you win. Yes. Don't worry thank about you. it. Uh, speaking of winning and having what you want, now we can talk about the milkman. Oh, Senior Drool Cup himself is there. He oh, is cupping boy. his hand, making a whooping noise which I don't want to imitate because that might be taken as possibly a little racist unintentionally. Yes. So I don't think it was meant that way in the episode, but that oftentimes is used to reference like Native American sounds. Mm -hmm. And I don't know culturally if I want to appropriate that right now. He appears and he gives... Hallelujah! Yep, and he gets ready the nice little bit of coffee to Cooper, which I think is coffee. very... I think it's very notable because... He's been serving Cooper the pure white milk for the so cold long. cold milk, and now the, the hot milk. coffee. Uh, I, I don't know if it's hot, but it's certainly coffee. Like, it's, coffee is We're not even sure hot. what state it's in. Like, as soon as he's like, coffee, 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 mm -hmm. and after doing that 27 more yep. times in a row, eventually the coffee does get to him. It feels like 27. It's probably like four. Yeah. And when Cooper looks back, guess what he looks like? The giant. The giant. It, one and the same. Yep, and it's either confirmation on my end, in which, like, that is the parasite form. Or... There's a lot of things we can argue about the giant in the one and the same comment. Um, and we'll get to more theories as time goes on. One idea would be that, yeah, the giant and senior jewel cup are one and the same. And there's also the idea, since sitting close to one another, right next to each other, he could be saying that him and the man from yes. another place is one and That's the same. That's another area of, of lack of clarity at this moment. It, we don't know which it means. Yes. It could mean any number of things. It's so good to chew on. You could but... even argue that it's about the milk and the coffee being the same thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of getting the coffee, it's first solid. When here, Cooper tips okay, it over. Okay, before we start this, yeah. it's very good to note the man from another place's reactions. Yes. Because when he gets the coffee, like when it's inside of his yep. hand, he starts like rubbing his hands. Kindling. His, licking his lips. Starting the fire, baby. He's just like amped up. But Cooper looks at the coffee and he just like looks at it 
looks over and just points in the direction of the man from another place. And we keep getting shots of the man from yeah. another place. I would almost call it growing disappointment. <laughs> because as Cooper goes from the solid to the liquid of coffee mm-hmm. as it spills over and then to, to the, the maple sludge. syrup. Yeah. Uh, he looks like almost like, uh, like, Ugh. And his next line is, wow, Bob, wow. So this is where we can overanalyze something that probably doesn't have a concrete answer. Yeah. My my gut impulse right now, and it could change in a week, is to argue that if he is getting impatient with Cooper and kind of disappointed, it's that the cup is almost a, a litmus test of his soul in the sense that he's one of those um, Goldilocks problems where it's it's too liquid or it's too solid and now it's just right but just right is wishy-washy so he's not cold he's not hot he's not cold he's not liquid he's not solid he's in between cooper I, isn't enough of one thing or the other he's not all good he's not all bad he's not all confident he's not all uncertain he's somewhere in between i think that it's just for the purposes of the black lodge cooper is someone who is very i would say almost fickle in the situation it's where he keeps like playing with something and testing it and pushing it away from him and when it comes to this scenario and this place i don't think that uncertainty is going to get you right so if he is judging anything i almost wonder if the coffee and the judgment that's happening here is kind of again cooper's lack of commitment lack of certainty on things i think that it definitely does say something especially with Wyndham earl's statement from before in which i don't think cooper has fully committed to then we get another reference to fire walk with me when the flame screen happens yeah and there's a scream that i don't think it's subtitled but it's clearly laura laura screaming um we get a scream that's off screen and it seems to be the scream off screen that summons cooper to leave the room presumably, because the lights start flashing. Cooper gets up and walks out of the waiting room. Again, potentially summoned by the scream back into the Venus de Milo hallway. Yes. So, Professor, let's together go the wrong way, if you will. Yay. So we have the man from another place, and he's he's acting different. He's also noticeably got gray, white-added-out eyes. Yep. And he's laughing this sort of menacing, I can't imitate it because it's that backwards speech that I, I wouldn't even know how to make the sounds he's making. But the sort of menacing laugh backwards, and he's dancing all jittery, right? And he says, another friend. And that's when we see Maddie entering from the curtain. Yes. Now, do you think that is regular-eyed Maddie or gray-eyed Maddie? It's hard to say from the screen I'm currently looking at. If we put it on the big tv at the moment maybe i could make it out but it's really hard to see what mm-hmm. colored eyes what do you think it is uh maybe it's great it's the consistency from this point on after like dale cooper tries to like walk towards the area mm-hmm. and then walks back and then the man from another place is like no go back in it's too late to go back now mm-hmm. and he just goes back to this area it, it looks like now from this point on we'll have gray-eyed people so this maddie whatever we make of her, says to watch out for her cousin. Yes. Referring, presumably, to Laura Palmer. Yes. Now, the interesting thing about that is if it is gray-eyed, usually the gray-eyed versions seem a little untrustworthy, right? They seem a little bit uh, malevolent in nature, one might say. Now, if it is gray-eyed Maddie and this malevolent force is saying, don't trust 
yeah. Laura Palmer. Does that mean that we don't trust Laura Palmer even more? Or, or we, we trust should Laura. trust her. Yeah. And then the, the thing is, does she mean regular Laura? Or does she mean gray-eyed Laura? Because we see both in the lodge. The regular-eyed Laura doesn't seem too bad. The well, gray-eyed Laura wants to rip your throat out. Oh, okay, so here's the thing, though. Regular-eyed Laura says we'll see you in 25 years. Yes. But it's about 26 or 27 from the amount of time it takes to produce uh, a season of Twin Peaks. So, Erico, don't trust her. She's just very bad at math. I'm correct in remembering, though, that regular Laura doesn't do anything really, like, crazy. It's it's the gray-eyed one, right? Except gets her math wrong, correct. But she doesn't, like, scream and run at the camera. That was gray-eyed, right? Yeah, that was gray-eyed doppelganger uh, Laura as she kind of, like, makes screaming noises running to the back of the chair and then running forward in front of Cooper's face. I feel like we have, like, a pun and square situation right now (laughs) of... Is it gray-eyed Maddie saying avoid gray-eyed Laura? Gray-eyed Maddie saying avoid regular-eyed Laura? Regular Laura saying avoid gray-eyed Lo- Matt? You know what I mean. You know what? You're waiting to see how long it's going to mess up. And the answer is the third time. So that's the question is, who's warning about who? Is it a good warning or a bad warning? I mean, it just adds more to the confusion of the whole entire area. Mm-hmm. In my gut, I think it was gray-eyed Maddie. And if she's warning... <laughs> it sounds like someone you want to avoid at the bar. Oh, gray-eyed. watch out for gray-eyed Maddie. She'll suck I mean, you straight you, in the mouth. You might want to avoid all the gray-eyed people in the bar. <laughs> but if she is gray-eyed, do we trust the warning? Or maybe it's a pirate name, gray-eyed Maddie. What do you Maddie. think? I, I'm I think out of gray-eyed answers. Maddie is a pirate. Uh, off to the many seas of the white and black lodge no as far as gray-eyed maddie goes i mean it's possible that the show didn't put as much thought to this as we are the four writers are like wow let's have maddie show up and say a cryptic line and that might be all there is to it but with how much attention there is to who's there and what color their eyes and what are they doing it just seems rather suspicious she says that one thing and that's it i think that's her saying that she's maddie is certainly a line yeah Mainly because I have suspicions on what these... And if Mabby is leaking out, maybe it's just that, A, the professor was right all the time and uh, Maddie and Laura were switched around and you shouldn't trust the switched around doppelganger. There is uh, or B, something going on with Laura Palmer still beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for Laura Palmer's turn 25 years later uh, to turn do an Andrew Packard. I'm alive! So you still have hope that maybe Laura's not dead after all. No, I don't have hope for that, but okay. it, it, it's still a suspicious matter all right. with Maddie. I think that Maddie's line, personally, stands out as the biggest mystery in this whole sequence Which is kind of crazy, because there's a lot of mysteries in this sequence There's a lot of mysteries, event. but I feel like I've personally figured it out emotionally for myself. All right, all right, Interesting. Interesting. Uh, this term doppelganger we've both used by this point. Uh, we get the first instance of that being said in this episode with white-eyed man from their place saying that word doppelganger while kind of jittering around again. So mm-hmm. we're we're assuming that that's the general term for all of the gray slash white-eyed people, correct? Mm-hmm. That they're all some form of doppelganger. For now, now, exactly, the term doppelganger has a lot of different like origin points and different reference and uses. So we don't exactly know what Twin Peaks means by doppelganger, other than the loose idea of there being a double. But whether that double is the evil twin, or if that double is like a repressed, like Jungian psychology shadow self, or what the double is, 
We just know it's there and it looks like the other person. Now, mind you, he says doppelganger rule looking at Cooper. And yes, we do flash over to Laura. Maybe he is referencing Laura at the moment. Or, or he's just referencing himself. Doppelganger. Uh, but mm, mm, I'm wondering if the man from another place recognizes a sense of a false second person with Cooper. Mm -hmm. You know? It could be. It could and be. And again, what's the intentions of the wide-eyed version of the man from their place. <laughs> if we take the idea that all the wide-eyed versions are suspicious and possibly malevolent, then again, is it a warning or is it like, I smell a tasty doppelganger in you? And if we kind of consider the word doppelganger itself, I know yeah. that has a probably very literal definition right. that will probably throw this one under the bus, but whenever I consider a doppelganger, I think of a shadow of another person, an right. imitation. Maybe it's an accusation towards Cooper, yeah. especially after what had happened with everything with Caroline. Maybe he's just simply a shadow of his former self mm -hmm. trying to rekindle perhaps that joy or substituting it mm -hmm. with uh, this drive and need for mystery. Yeah, it is. It is a lot to consider. It is a lot to consider. Uh, we get wide-eyed Laura back again. She does the meanwhile thing, but this time she decides to like open her mouth wide and begin screaming and rushing at Cooper. You know, I, I wish that, like, instead, whenever, like, someplace says, meanwhile, it's just yeah. instead this. It's just Laura Palmer handling the situation, running in uh, around furniture and screaming. And as she is screaming, we see Wyndham Earl's face yep. kind of flash over hers very and, like, quickly. It's very, like, heavy red. Like, you know that look whenever you, like, put a fingertip to something like a flashlight? Right. It, yes. It, it is very much like that. And I almost wonder if that isn't partly what it is mm -hmm. if we think so much about light and darkness as sort of dichotomies here the idea of shining a light through the darkness of windham earl you can do things with that is my point and yeah. that would also indicate we take the idea that the doppelgangers again aren't what they seem you know it's kind of suspicious that a lot of these doppelgangers are like i'm maddie i'm annie I'm Caroline. Like, okay, most of the time you don't have to keep saying who you are. We can tell who you are. So it's that almost imposter element. And the fact that when Laura's running at him, it shows Wyndham Earl, it makes me wonder, is this actually Wyndham Earl acting through this for just a moment? Why is Wyndham Earl being shown? Is he literally interacting in this moment? Or is it something that Cooper's thinking of? Or like, why is why is this happening? I think that whenever screaming, it's an easy method to disorient someone. Mm -hmm. And when you have that point of disorientation, when you have that fear of pure feeling, especially whenever it comes to something like jump scares, let's just face it, the most purest thought he has right now is, where is Wyndham Earl? Yeah, it's just, it really makes me suspicious because Wyndham Earl seems to have no real control over the situation. He does try to take Cooper's soul, We'll get to that soon, but I don't know if we're supposed to interpret that Wyndham Earl had any involvement in that moment, or was it just imagined? Mm -hmm. But again, that's more the mystery of this whole situation. I will say, though, that Laura's screaming in this episode has always really resonated with me a lot, and it drastically <laughs> altered the way I viewed her character. So when I first watched the show and saw this side of Laura or Laura's doppelganger, however you want to view it, and seeing the actress perform this like horrifying scream and the way she depicts herself almost again is like a horror jump scare character in this episode. Yeah. That's so interesting for a character who started off and remained up until this point as basically the victim character. Yeah. The, you know, 
unfortunate loss of this community. So the idea that that becomes the scariest character in this nightmare realm is really interesting to me. And whenever you, when we were recording this pod and you kept like referring to her almost as like an eldritch like horror or as some sort of weird Lovecraftian situation. Yeah. It made me think in the back of my head to the Laura screaming, to the nightmare quality mm-hmm. that Laura, and we'll get, again, you said, well, we'll read the book soon and we'll talk about that that Laura has such a duality and multiplicity to her Mm -hmm. that she is simultaneously a tragic figure of loss and innocence Mm -hmm. and a victim of natural and supernatural evil. Mm -hmm. But then there are versions and variations of her that go to very dark places and use and haunt and manipulate and hurt. And the line between where Laura ends... And where Doppelganger or Bob or whatever have you begins gets blurred in moments like this. Mm-hmm. That Laura is being portrayed as a symbol of horror or evil. Okay. It's a lot to wrestle with and figure out what <laughs> to make of her, it, them. Mm-hmm. Is this a side of Laura? Like, again, it goes back to what is a Doppelganger? Is Doppelganger Laura a side of Laura that lingers on in this realm? Or is it an artificial being made to look like her or even like a skin or a mask made to look like her? How much percent of Laura is this? (laughs) Because you kind of made allusions to the idea that Bob might somehow be behind these things to some degree. Or it might every time be Bob. Yes. And the fact that Wyndham Wyndham Earl's face is flashing over it, again, very suspect. Yes. I'm done ranting. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are is that if Laura Palmer really resonates with you, my first thought was that you got through a BuzzFeed quiz and you got Screaming Laura Palmer specifically. Um, jokes aside, though, this there's a lot <laughs> that probably I could see into Laura Palmer, especially with yeah. the book in Fire Walk With Me coming up. Yeah. But at this moment, Laura Palmer is... She has two lines in her wide-eyed form. <laughs> Meanwhile, and screaming. Mm-hmm. And she can scream. She can scream. And I think that she's the only one who really gets like at that high of a register, too. It's, uh, it's, is, it, it's, is it pain? Is it anger? What is the emotion of that scream? Is it, is, it, is it a scream of someone who's felt pain or someone who's trying to inflict pain or both? I think that it definitely is layered. I don't know if I can answer any of these questions in a singularity. I think that in truth, it's a wild scream. It is a manic scream. Mm -hmm. It is the scream of... It hurts my throat hearing it (laughs) to actually pull that off. It's a scream summoning just emotions. Mm -hmm. And I can't really even pinpoint it. More emotions than Carly Rae Jepsen's best album, Emotion. It's called Emotion. Oh, I don't know music. It's okay. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's not. So Cooper enters a room. And at this point, after seeing the doppel Laura with the Wyndham Earl flash, he is now in the next room and he realizes he's bleeding. He didn't seem to notice it at all before. And we didn't see it before. But now all of a sudden he's bleeding from the chest and he's like hunching forward and there's a trail of blood behind him. Cooper then turns and follows that blood trail into another room where now it's Annie and Cooper on the floor, both with chest wounds. Cooper first sees Annie there and refers to her as Caroline. He says Caroline out loud. We see it as Annie. He says Caroline. Then when Annie kind of looks up all just wild and disoriented, Cooper realizes that it's her. 
He oh. corrects himself. Before we go too far with this portion, can we talk about Cooper for a moment? We can. Now, Cooper walks into this room, and obviously he sees, like, Caroline Nanny on the floor laying right next to Cooper. Yes. Now, with this situation, Cooper was saying that he went unconscious mm-hmm. uh, during that time, and that's where some suspicions came through. Right. Now, he I don't remember him putting up the detail that he was bleeding. He wasn't in his version. Hurt. He never said that. He, he, I, I wonder if it is something that he just kind of blocks away or the main point was he was not available and that is the more important part. We're going to put a pin in that, man. We're going to we're going to play around well, with that pin. Well, another in a suspicious element too is that the wounds that Wyndham Earl likes to inflict go through the chest but then go into the aorta. They're a heart attack essentially. Yeah. It's a weakness of the heart. Yeah, but the thing is is that his blood is all below the chest. Mm-hmm. It is around the stomach area and lower portion where he got it, shot. Where he got shot. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering even if there might even be a reflection on his injuries for when Josie shot Again, at him. Time works and weird then, in Twin Peaks. Mm, yes. Time works weird in Twin Peaks. So yes, I I'm curious. And also when he was shot by Josie, he wasn't around to help. Audrey. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that's the intention here because nothing is brought up enough with Audrey, yeah. directly at least. Mm-hmm. But considering that Audrey was someone he cared for deeply, he wanted to protect, and in the moment where she was in mortal danger at One Eye Jacks, he was lying on the floor, shot, couldn't see her letter at all, couldn't even, didn't find it, didn't see it. Mm-hmm. I think there is some of that lingering regret that we saw right after he realized what happened, that he wasn't around again when someone he cared for a young woman he cared for was in danger. I think that if that, Audrey would have died, I think it would have broke Cooper real bad. I think that if Audrey was dead at this moment, we would probably see her or a form of her in the Black Lodge during this time. That's another. I know that now. I know that Annie is here and not dead, but then again, Annie physically went into yeah. the Black Lodge. We we that is one thing to comment too is that a lot of these doppelgangers are of people who are deceased. Yes. Uh, obviously, we have Laura, we have Maddie, we have Caroline, and we have Leland. Yes. So. Again, if we take that idea of how much are these people, quote-unquote, really the other people, like when we look at doppelganger Maddie or Laura, if they are Mm -hmm. truly them in some capacity, what does it mean then that they're still alive while in our world, in well, not our world, it's Twin Peaks, the TV show, in the world of Twin Peaks' normal human reality, they're dead. Mm -hmm. Is it form of ghost? Or is it more a form of, like, your creature in the mirror world doesn't die when you die? So, like, was doppelganger Maddie there before Maddie died in the real world? Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe just elements of them still exist out there in the world, but in a more abstract sense. You know, And that I'll, is my question at that point, mm-hmm. because let's just face it, Bob uh, and other individuals who also leech on to people... Mm-hmm they can take on the faces and appearance of, let's say, for example, Leland, a man from another face, if you will. I'd be really fascinated to know, for sure, if Josie had been in the episode, like it seems like it was planned, would she have been gray-eyed or not? I think that would be really revealing, just to know that simple detail of what would her eyes have looked like. Yes. Would she have been a presumably still conscious human entity trapped here? Or would she be in some way, a doppelganger, possibly deceased. You hear it, and especially with the word Ben that he just said, the actor who played Ben Horn, please, release more photos. Please, let us know. Please, let you have some juicy bits and information. Richard Bamer, I love you. That's not for the photos. He just wanted to confess. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) 
true. It'll never work between us, but I, I admire your work, sir. <laughs> um, so anyway, we return to the scene. Speaking of love. He, he looks up to Annie, who's in distress. He corrects himself. And at this point, we see an interesting sequence of flashes of the chevron floor overlaid first person camera going through the hallway uh, as Cooper advances into another room. We kind of like a time skip and it's the only time this really happens. So it's, it's strange. It makes me wonder why we suddenly have a first person perspective, a time skip, and then we see Cooper in the room. What happened in the room where Annie was leaning up next to the Cooper in the blood? Did he just walk out or did something happen that we didn't get to see? It might be again, that abstract sense of time. Mm-hmm. It might be a, situation where Cooper is not quite in control or it might have not been Cooper at that moment. Again, it's first right. person, so it's hard to say. We don't do know that Cooper eventually walks through a curtain. Well, what I'm saying is that the next time we see him, he's not next to the bleeding on the floor version. He enters a new room. See, we never saw him left the other room. We didn't see him leave the other room. We just see him enter the new one, mm-hmm. which is strange. Every other time we see him leave one to go to the next. Yes. So the fact that we missed the part where he left makes me believe that there could have been more that happened in that room we just didn't see. Maybe maybe it was more that happened inside that room. Maybe the lodge itself is trying to progress Cooper. Mm. And let's just say that it became more forceful with his movement. It is curious because the next room he's in is again Annie. It's, it's, it's still the Annie part. Yeah. Just a different room. And this time it's regular eyed Annie. And she says that line that she saw the face of the man who killed her. It was her husband. And then when Cooper is confused about this and is asking, like, Annie, what's going on? She's like, who's Annie? It's me. It's me. And then we see a wide-eyed Carolyn or Caroline. Yes. Or Cal- Carolina. Uh, let, 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 let's just call her Carolina. Do you still believe that she looks like Annie? Um, Because I think their faces are so different. I would say, yeah, there's softer features in Annie her face has more bones. Her face has more bones. <laughs> There's also the fact that Annie and her have very close colored hair. Yeah. Different styles, but close hair. They're they're similar positions in his life. I can't say if they have the same eye color for obvious reasons. <laughs> fair point, fair point. <laughs> and then that person turns into white-eyed Laura. And noticeably, by the way, the Caroline was again white-eyed. So it wasn't the... Caroline of the real world, presumably, or the whatever reality is in Twin Peaks. I will say before we do go to the Laura, here's the fun detail. Mm. Carolyn is right in front of him. But when there's a side view and Mm -hmm. it's like goes into Cooper's face, it goes back and it is Annie wearing Carolyn's. Yes. Outfit before we hit to Laura. Mm -hmm. But Annie's eyes are not grayed out. Yeah. No, the eyes are back to normal. Yeah. Normal is normal. Right. So I think the idea here is that Annie is still from his world slash real slash whatever. Yes. It's not a doppelganger, but then the Caroline and Laura's are. I would say. And then we get Wyndham Earl, who's also not a doppelganger. I would argue almost that since Annie is in specifically Carolyn's Mm -hmm. outfit, that she is a doppelganger, but not in the traditional sense. Mm -hmm. She is someone who reminds him so much likely of Annie that she is practically a doppelganger to him. Elsewise, I don't know about the theming of wearing the outfit beyond the point of well, yeah, her and- being him reminding her. I'm not saying that. Yeah. that uh, I, I'm saying that it definitely puts mm-hmm. Cooper's 
emotions into question. Well, let me jump off that again and restate something I said earlier with a little bit more emphasis here. Okay. I, I still do believe that what Cooper is experiencing is very uniquely Cooper's Black Lodge experience. Yes. Even if Wyndham Earl and Annie are in the Black Lodge, and they are in the Black Lodge, whatever is happening with them, I do not believe is the same thing. Cooper, it, why am I wearing this dress? It's more that... I, to me, their eyes indicate that they are fellow guests in the waiting room, so to speak. Okay. But that, again, the moments where they overlap, you see flickers of them kind of interacting with each other in their own worlds. Mm -hmm. But I have a suspicion that Cooper, in some form, is probably also in the Annie or Wyndham Earl Black Lodge doing things that this Cooper is not. Well, Wyndham and Earl's I, Black Lodge must be a ride. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> The only part where I really think this is the actual overlap is when Wyndham Earl is captured by Bob later. That I think Wyndham Earl is experiencing the same way. I think that that <laughs> is happening in both of them. I wanted to also say that going along with that, maybe it's obvious, maybe it's not. A lot of times eyes are the window to the soul, right? And a lot of times eyes are being used to represent life. When someone's dead, you put the coin over their eye, right? For the ferryman. Uh, there's that idea that the eyes are somehow important to not only one's soul, but to one's life. Yeah. So the idea of the eyes being grayed out, I think is a very effective symbol. Not only one to be creepy looking, mm -hmm. it's slightly uncanny, but then and it's also the element that there is something wrong with the soul or something along with life. I think it's interesting that they opted for white eyes and not black eyes. Black would be the obvious thing if you're going for like, this is the evil black lodge, it's solid darkness. But instead they went for the more the idea that it's pale, which can also be a form of death. Um, it's something that almost lacks its nuance and color and, and vitality. I don't know what to make of that, but I just thought I would say what's maybe obvious. I mean, when you think about the Black Lodge, sure, there are actions that can certainly be impure, but I think that an idea of a soul or their soul intent mm -hmm. can still take on qualities that would be White Lodge-esque or even just this essence of white, if you will. I don't know if I fully believe that the residents are, as Wis Wyndham Earl would put, and are completely vile and dark and horrible. Like, uh, let me let me quickly ask this, and it might be very well the case. Uh, Bob's eyes are white, correct? I don't think so. Exactly. Everyone else's is a form of white. Mm -hmm. I, I and I don't know even if like these guys are like fully themselves. Again, I have a suspicion that Bob is also well, there. So, and now I'm going to throw another wrench. And I also kind of forgot we mentioned earlier the idea that the people who don't have white eyes are the ones who are like living, right? The ones who are living. But Laura, when she first appeared, didn't have white eyes. That Laura did I'm alive! Okay, stop with this. <laughs> but that's where it gets complicated too, right? So it can't be as simple as the white-eyed versions are ghosts. Yeah. That they only exist for the dead. I, because Laura is dead, but yet... Yet... We see the regular-eyed version of her in the lodge. That's why my... Uh, position might be more valid than yours it might uh, be <laughs> jokes aside no i think that genuinely she is dead, yet she lives these guys are white-eyed as reflections and usually it's easy to find reflections from the dead inside of this place that processes i would imagine souls one way or another now i would also like to note that before uh the stabby stab there's a point where Wyndham Earl is having a conversation with Cooper yep. and Annie just sort of peers to the side. Cross-armed, looking at him both. I, I think that that, as well as the Bob moment, are also the flickers of yes. this is truly them. Be yes. Because I do not believe that that is a faux 
Annie look I agree up with to you. the side. I think that is actually Annie and actually Wyndham Earl. Although, because Wyndham Earl speaks backwards and Cooper doesn't, it does make me think that there is some still some distortion happening here. There's some distortion, but this man was distorted in the first place. Yeah. Like, let's just face it, with the situation before where his face was completely yeah. white and the teeth of black, you could say that that is just a moment we see into Leo's vision mm -hmm. or if we, or if he truly was like well, that. <laughs> you've, you've, you've activated my trap card, professor. Oh no. This is something I've been meaning to talk about. And now's as good a time as any, Annie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not even a joke. Anyway, what I was going to say is that I was kind of thinking during the rewatch of this, that one angle you could take, and it's currently my position. Also, I've kind of switched sides on it. <laughs> I'm inclined to believe that Wyndham Earl not only was not in control in the lodge, I would argue that he might not have been in control since he came in Twin Peaks. I think that he's been talking backwards because he has not been really following his own line of logic for a lot of the positions. What, what like I'm getting at is he feels awfully like a pawn. I, I really wonder if the goal at the end of the day wasn't to get Cooper here. And maybe Bob wanted a snack, so might as well bring Wyndham Earl too to munch on. <laughs> but I honestly get the sense that what Wyndham Earl was doing, that he thought he could harness the power of the Black Lodge and control the world, is so comically not what was going to happen that I almost wonder if he was g being given little breadcrumbs and a little bit of influence from the Lodge mm -hmm. to ju just enough juice to get him going, just enough energy to get him to do his thing, that Wyndham Earl was just a twisted little puppet himself <laughs> who was doing the bidding almost of the Lodge the whole time, if not directly controlled. I don't think he, I think he still had free will. I think he was very much being kind of whispered in the ear to. And I think that not because he was ever going to get any power, but because I think that by him doing what he was going to do, it was going to create the situation where one, Cooper would be there. And two, whatever happened to Cooper with the doppelganger would happen. I mean, this we, feels premeditated. We can also consider that whether or not, Bob can be present in other beings or even just like a greater yeah. sense of the Black Lodge or something else. I'm leaning towards Bob. Um, that could have eventually brought him back here because let's just face it, Wyndham Earl's reappearance was around the time Cooper was still present here. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, Wyndham Earl had already spent years around this place looking through the duck buzz and so on. Who's to say that the Black Lodge or anything like that couldn't have afflicted right. him in the past? How long is this long con? Again, the way that Wyndham Earl speaks and the way that he stays inconsistent, I wonder if he speaks backwards, but not mm. in a traditional sense. Mm -hmm. That that cheating in the chest thing is the one the thing that bothers me the most. What you're saying is we have to figure out what Wyndham Earl spelled backwards is. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, Professor. I will get to that task. Um, <laughs> this is as good a time as any also to ask my other question. If you were to pinpoint one time, the time where Cooper like went past a line of no return where things go went like things went wrong. What is Cooper's mistake? Cuz we both agree Cooper like didn't end this episode winning. He is is the popular meme of our current time. Are you winning son? I don't think Cooper was winning, but when did he start to lose? Wait, you mean like inside the Black Lodge or just in general in Twin Peaks? Both. Well, inside the Black Lodge, easily the cup scene. The cup scene showed mm -hmm. his biggest weakness. It is the sense that he is very testy. And sure, of course, I wouldn't trust the Black Lodge in a mile or the right. like the Red Room if I appeared in it. But at the same time, that's not about my personal strifes and the things that I have overcome. That is up to Cooper. And as far as Cooper goes, it was far before when he entered Twin Peaks. I feel that he carries a lot of that weight with what happened with Carolyn with him. Speaking also biblically, I want to mention, you, you talked a lot about the, the Bible influences here. Yeah. The idea of being wishy-washy and being lukewarm, 
that's the kind of talk in the New Testament that would get you kicked out. They don't want the <laughs> lukewarm people. Nope. They don't want the iffy people. They want people who are clear-cut. Uh, so I think that the fact that he is so wishy-washy could very much be the moment of judgment. I feel like it's one of those like mood ring scenarios where they're just trying to gauge you and it's like, oh no, this one's a dud. And it's not to say Cooper can't be. He has certain values that he will be and yes. will be going towards that. But there are some very key moments which I'm staring at and my conspiracy mind is mm. going crazy. Well, and I almost wonder if for me, the first really alarming moment in the rewatch of it it's after Annie screams and we see the Wyndham Earl flash. That's when Cooper starts bleeding. And I'm of two minds. One of me wants, one of me, one of me wants yep. to say that he's bleeding because it's recreating the scene on the floor. It's recreating the aorta wound. Again, we saw Wyndham Earl, Wyndham Orr, Wyndham Orr equals blood wound from chest. Okay, I get it. Yeah. But the other part of me is wondering is the thing that happened with Laura what wounded him? In the sense, <laughs> and, and in the sense that. There's something about Laura being his personal fear or personal injury. That Laura's the thing that he couldn't fix. Let's just face it. There's a. I would say that there is still a fondness, maybe not for Laura Palmer directly. I mean, she mm -hmm. has been known to attract men. But I'm wondering if it's just everything that's surrounded Laura yeah. in the case. There's a fondness for, similar to what he's felt with uh, Carolyn as well as with Annie. It is a substitute for possibly even facing his own conflicts. Right. So anyway, Wyndham Earl, he says, if you give me your soul, I'll let Annie live. And without really pause, no. without a single moment, he agrees. Again, in his regular voice, not backwards. So I will. Do you think, this is a real good question. I'm just prompting myself on how good my question is. Do you think that Cooper should have said yes? Do you think telling Wyndham Earl in the Black Lodge or Red Room or Waiting Room or whatever that he will, without a moment's hesitation, he will give his soul to let Andy live. doesn't matter. That's what he'd do. Okay. That's what he would do. Do you think it's right? I There's no questions in the area of morality here. It is saying, for example, should a truck stop at a stop sign? And yes, it should. It should. And That's hopefully what I'm it does. You. I can't imagine the reality where it like, steers past and crashes into vehicles when Cooper is at the wheel. Mm. There is... In the idea of should, it gives an idea of other paths. If you were Cooper in this situation, would you have? I, If I were Cooper, I'd have Cooper's mind in Cooper's past situations. I'm sorry, but there's well, no other paths here. Then since you do not want to answer that question... This guess, is an unstoppable object, and you have yet to give me an immovable force. My question, I guess I'll turn to then, is why do you think Cooper would say I will? Because there is still that idea of... If not a sense of fondness, I say that there's almost a sense of duty. Cooper himself, I would find, is selfish for the things that he enjoys for himself, mm -hmm. but selfless whenever it comes down to a problem that has to be solved. We've seen him give himself up to Jean Renault during that one portion of the little drug house raid. Mm -hmm. We've seen him really kind of go haphazardly go to one-eyed jacks mm -hmm. to try to solve his problems. And he's constantly been trying to push people away whenever it comes to these things, because usually it seems he has to be the hero of the situation. Maybe not out of like thinking it as pride, but more so he takes pride in his own work. He mm -hmm. wants to make sure everything goes well and is good with everyone at the risk of himself, which is incredibly unhealthy. How yeah, how fatal do you think that is a flaw in his personality? I think there's a more fatal flaw that is to come. 
Okay. And that is, it's very important that we get to the end of these events for I, me to go I'll hold you deeper. to explaining this at that time. Thank you. So, Wyndham Earl then stabs Cooper. There's suddenly this flame effect. The blade gets retracted almost like it's the scene reversed. And then we hear help shouted in the reverse speech. Before we cut to Bob, now grabbing Wyndham Earl almost by the base of the neck or the back of the head somewhere. And Wyndham Earl's screams are like super high pitch. I love his cross-eyed face, yes. too. It's goofy, but I think it's the right amount of goofy for the situation. It, it, it's it's cartoonishly anguished. And, you know, Bob is just doing a simple, be quiet, you know, sort of voice at him. And eventually it works. Twice. He, he silences. And at this time, Bob talks to Cooper. You go. He is wrong. He can't ask for your soul. I will take his and uh, that seems to happen because the flashing lights occur, Wyndham Earl's screams start ranking up in intensity, and, you know, another flames come out of his head, which is a great image. Love yes. the flames. Yes. And when the flames fall, Wyndham Earl's head drops, almost like a ventriloquist dummy, you know, just kind of a doll that's been shut off or the soul's been taken out of, which a part of me as I was watching the episode with the doppelgangers, I kind of thought of the doppelgangers almost as living dolls, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea then that, that once you take away the life, they are just dolls. Yes. There's a vacancy inside. Uh, and Bob laughs as soon as he got his little little soul meal. It's like it's like a corn meal, but it's soul meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cooper just kind of walks out of the room. Like yes. I would do. I would. I would also walk out of the room, Cooper. I agree with you. <laughs> do you have anything else you want to say about Wyndham Earl in particular before we move on? I love the sort of look and appearance after Bob has taken him. The it's the relationship with Bob to Wyndham Earl that I imagine Wyndham Earl to Leo, really. This person oh. who has this very, think of it. L- very jovial and maniacal sense lording over someone who, well, now after the soul has been taken, mm. is very much a shadow of their former self, mm-hmm. just a limp thing. So A limp biscuit. Music. <laughs> I also think but, it's just funny out of context he's a limp biscuit. But no, it is almost saddening. Eh, um, I don't feel that bad for Wyndham. I, I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> if anyone feel, can have their soul taken, then Wyndham Earl's fine. It, 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 it's more so like the what Bob is able to do in a broader context of sapping someone of their soul. And how is that different behind. than death? I mean, how, how much better, worse, or the same is having your soul eaten in flames by Bob in the Red Room or Black Lodge versus just getting killed by Bob in the real world. Because one is a force that, yes, Bob is Because what happened to Josie also is suspect too in that regard. Yes. Did Bob kill her or did Bob take her soul or did her soul move into a drawer knob? (laughs) Or all three? (laughs) All the above, no. When one is given away from life and is done by a force that may be maniacal and iffy, mm-hmm. and you go into that sense of black void of the beyond, yeah, yes, it is something that can be frightening and something very saddening. But to have something so inconceivable mm-hmm. as a soul being sapped away, something that is completely yourself, rendered in what I can't imagine the feeling of, what I can't imagine the emotions of, and just seeing the body left behind. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that that lack of emotion hurts me more than seeing someone's, like, face writhing from the pain of a knife wound. I mean, after someone's dead, their lack of emotion might still exist the same way. 
Perhaps so. I mean, either way, his body's lifeless by the end of it. Perhaps so. It's just that nature of the unknown mm. that is very effective mm -hmm. to horror. Mm -hmm. Speaking of horror, we get Doppelkoop. Oh, yeah, he is, spins around I the curtain. I love the spinning in the curtains. And one thing I'll just kind of say right off the bat, too, I love how Doppelkooper, right from the get-go, he is such a different demeanor than the Cooper we're familiar with, and also such a different demeanor than the other Lodge entities and doppelgangers. The closest I can really think of is Leland, because Leland's always giggling in the, in the white-eyed version. Mm -hmm. But this Doppelkoop is, like, having the time of his life. Does yeah. he live? I don't know. But he's having a great time. He's spinning around. He's just growling around. And then when he meets over a Bob, he's laughing his head off. And you get this real sense of like, this is a version of Cooper that is just having delight. Just tons of savoring the moment. Uh, and that's an interesting way to view him versus, again, Doppel Laura or, you know, Doppel Maddie. This is a very different kind of entity, it seems like, in the way he's behaving. Um and again, he does the laughter with Bob. And then at this point, Cooper is still walking casually. hasn't really picked up on the fear element quite yet. Obviously, things have been happening around him, but he's mm -hmm. not running yet. Mm -hmm. uh, he walks into Wide-Eyed Leland. He has been, like, very stoic, yes. if anything, and just has been walking very calm and through the that, vast majority of And this. that might be the right approach? I don't know if he would... I he, think it's important for what yeah. comes next. Because then we get to Leland. He says, I did not kill anybody. Just to, just to say consistent with the white eyes and the black eyes, let's call him Doppel Leland. Doppel Leland. So, Doppel Leland, do you believe him? Did he not kill anybody? What comes next? Like, just a couple more scenes. All right, all right, all right. Like, trust the me. The pins are falling out right now. We put too many we, pins and too many things. We're going to go back and we're going to trail on these. I promise, I promise. But no, we'll this is a fan, trail of blood. This is a fantastic scene, though, and I'm glad to have Leland back. And the way that he steps forward to Cooper mm -hmm. and Cooper kind of like steps aback from that situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is juicy. Well, pretty much soon after Cooper leaves, we get Doppelkoop, who comes in there, makes some uh, eye contact with Doppel Leland. And they seem to share a little telepathic joke because they both begin to kind of chuckle. And we get this great shot that I know you are especially fond of, of seeing Doppelkoop turning almost as if to the camera, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. uh, looking side glance at us. Between like the Coopers looking at each other from opposite curtains, mm -hmm. as well as just that uh, little like look in and smile mm -hmm. breaking that fourth wall. Ooh. Excellent work from Kyle McLaughlin on this episode. That also. is. Ooh. Kyle Ooh. McLaughlin had to pull off the non-reaction in a way that was convincing. And it's, I imagine it's got to be a hard task for an actor Especially to pull off what he's doing because he is non-reacting in a very purposeful way. And flashing lights. Have you ever like had to stare at flashing lights? I can tell you have some feelings on flashing lights. Oh yes. gods. I am impressed beyond hell. Like mm. how someone could be singing in that, how someone could be dancing in that, how someone could just be staring forward at that. Mm -hmm. Kudos to all actors that can behave in flashing lights. Laura also screamed and ran ahead. Yeah. I would fall on my face. Multiple yeah. times. They would give up on the takes on how many times I would have to run through lights mm -hmm. because it is so disorienting to the yeah. person. Oh. Well, and also I'm going to give credit also to Annie Blackburn's actress, Heather Graham, because she was doing so much like visual acting. Not only did the moment where she had to be staring wide-eyed forward, not looking at anything around her when the spirit took over her outside the lodge. Mm-hmm. Then she also had to do the whole thing when she's on the ground bloodied and she has to look around and sort of like 
she's looking around, but again, it seems like she's not in the world. Like, it's a fish out of water sort of look. It's bizarre. Hard to describe. It's a very mechanical sort of rising and just kind of her body's looking around more than her eyes are. There's a lot of physical acting work that Heather Graham had to pull off here that I think is also marvelous. Just give kudos to everyone here. I'm, I'm giving kudos okay. to everyone and specifics. Yes. Because I think, again, the specifics matter as much as the generalities. Yes. Specifically, we have Doppelkoop. Uh, laughing at this point, running after regular Cooper, who at this point, Cooper started to run as well. He is picking up the piece, picking up the fear, and it seems like at this point he knows he's being chased. Yes. And they both collide at each other at a curtain. Was it the final curtain? I think so, but it was at least a curtain. I'm imagining for the amount of rooms that they've ran past, as well as the appearance of the final room, I believe so as well. Yeah. I think that that was right at the end where Doppelkoop got to Coop. Which adds to the pain that he was that close. Oh. And yet he was taken down. We don't find that out right away. We find it out later. Although we do get a hint in the sense that the last figure we see after both coops are kind of in the curtain. Someone who also is, looks at the screen. Is Bob. Mm -hmm. Really close. Love that close up. Uh, that's so good. And then Cooper and Annie appear outside the Red Room. Harry Truman finally lights up because he's been stuck there for so long. Basically, like, a whole day and, a, like, the half overnight and then again the next day. He's finally seen them after, like, over 24 hours, basically, presumably. Yes. And he then is able to find them. And next we see at the famous toothbrushing ending... We see that he is by the bedside of Cooper. We don't know when the last time Truman slept. Yeah, we know that Doc Hayward is not arrested. Doc Hayward <laughs> probably didn't kill anyone. And I did not kill anybody. Okay, Doc Hayward, I, I, I didn't think you did. I imagine that um, Ben mm -hmm. is unconscious, so he can't press charges at yeah. the moment. So that's probably why Doc Hayward isn't even just being held. Or they the stuffed side. him up the chimney. Or he's you don't know if that's true or not. Doc, Doc and his chainsaw hands does do wonders. <laughs> hey, there won't be much of a body left after those chainsaw nope. hands. <laughs> um, I'm glad we can have such levity because this ending is very dreary. Are you? T what are you talking about? There's plenty of laughter and smiles in this ending. Yeah, very much so. What a funny line of, I need to brush my teeth. So yeah, Cooper's in that. bed. Again, it's daytime. Doc Hayward and Sherman are by the bed sign. Uh, they say, like, oh, here he is. He's, like, awake. And then Cooper's like, I wasn't sleeping. Annie. How's Annie? And Truman says she's fine. She's over at the hospital. And he's like, I need to brush my teeth. Sure. I need to brush my teeth. Good idea. I I, I like the, the sort of understanding from from uh, Truman here, like, yep. Okay, pal, whatever you need. Go, go brush your teeth, sport. Just kind of, like, a little confused, but also, like, yep. Makes sense. Okay, good. Yeah. And if this was anyone else, I guess it'd be really weird, but Cooper's always been an oddball, so I suppose there's weirder reactions this man could have had. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of made me think, you know, if we are going to read into the idea of brushing teeth, it reminds me of the idea that one has like a bad taste in your mouth, right? A bad taste in one's mouth. Uh, guilty conscience, perhaps, but also I'm thinking of the idea almost in a, a magical sense that you're cleaning out the mouth so that a new voice can enter almost. Uh, if the eyes are the window to the soul, then the mouth is the way in which the soul communicates. Most often, there's obviously other ways. There's written communication. But it's kind of the way in which one expresses oneself commonly. Now, what I was thinking is just the common use of toothbrush as well as like teeth, as well as things like decay and cavities. Mm -hmm. A lot of representation on teeth goes that the teeth themselves, when clean, when pure, are very white. They are mm -hmm. very bright. It is the ideal form of teeth. When plaque comes through, 
or something that sullies that, oftentimes it is shown, and there are mm-hmm. cavities that exist, I do know, uh, that go black, if mm. you will. And in order to try to maintain that, you have to keep up your brushing habits. You have yes. to keep up these good habits to avoid these other things creeping in. And it's notable because Cooper doesn't really brush his teeth so no. much as disposes of the thing that can clean them. Yes. And it's right down into the sink. Unless... And he seems to also really enjoy squeezing it. Oh, There's a yes. little bit of satisfaction he gets from the feeling of squeezing something empty. Which, again, I, I really appreciate about Lynch and Twin Peaks has a lot of moments of this. Yes. Where it's things that are not conventionally disturbing or horrifying or even that weird are put in a new context that makes them seem eerie. Squeezing a toothpaste tube is not typically something that would go menacing. Mm-hmm. But the way it is here, it feels very much like an analog for, like, strangling or, like, suffocating. There's this sense of he's emptying out something clean. Emptying out something that can clean. Yes. Like, it is taking away the method. Yes. And Cooper looks at the mirror and then, with a sort of sudden conviction, dashes his head straight into the mirror, which I'm inclined to wonder, is that meant to imply that there is part of Cooper that is flickering of consciousness that looks in the mirror, sees Bob in the reflection, and immediately goes on attack mode. Or, uh, spoiler quick for Gravity Falls, there's, oh. there's, I'll be as least spoiler okay, as I was possible. Gonna, I didn't expect that to happen. There okay. actually is a doppelganger episode. Mm-hmm. As soon as the doppelganger enters the body, mm-hmm. they are so excited to use limbs that they purposely hurt the body just to mm. feel that pain. Okay. Which I think is an interesting approach See, alone. And I don't know if there's like some lore behind that. Again, doppelganger can mean so many different things in different cultures and different literature. Hey, and I'm just saying that maybe this could have also been an interpretation of the director. The director was yes. heavily influenced by Twin Peaks. Of course. Right, I, right. And I do think there's an interesting connection there. I'm just curious if Gravity Falls was using that as a point of reference from something else that predated Twin Peaks or not. That'd be yeah, my curiosity. Absolutely. But I think it's an interesting interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I think it really, really matters. Mm-hmm. Because if it was Cooper seeing Bob the Reflection, realizing, I have, I have to stop this, could it have been Cooper either A, the little part in his brain that was still conscious, the normal Cooper, was trying to just impulsively attack without even really a goal, just seize Bob, strike. Or was Cooper trying to kill himself? Was Cooper trying to bash his head in to just end this? We know that instances where Leland and Bob would cross, there was oftentimes music in the air. I'm wondering if uh, (laughs) this is a situation in which every time Cooper sees a mirror, he has to headbutt it, which would be very hard to get through life if every reflection Cooper had an impulse to headbutt mirrors. So, so, so my question, ignoring whatever you just, <laughs> ignoring that, my question for you is, do you believe that there is anything in this Cooper that is the old Cooper? Or do you believe that this is, this is just a, this is Doppelcoop. This I, is, this is completely Doppelcoop. I think for Bob to exist, there has to be something of Coop. I don't know if those actions are primarily his, mm. but I do feel that whatever Bob is, it definitely is a corrupting force. It is something that overcomes someone. Because this is either a case where one Cooper got left in the lodge and one Cooper escaped, or it's a case where when Cooper left, it kind of merged or molded, and now the Cooper we know has been a host. And it matters which one it is, I think, because is there still Cooper trapped in the lodge, or is this Cooper possessed or it's well i do feel that cooper is possessed in one term or another but i do think that 
who's to say that this Cooper exclusively always lurked in the Black Lodge? Mm -hmm. Maybe this is just those who end up in the Black Lodge, especially around that area, a piece of them is left behind. Mm -hmm. Was this, or you can again argue, was this dark part of Cooper always there? Yes, exactly. That Bob could then latch onto and manifest through. Again, that's the question is, do you think there's any other form of, like, is the good part of Cooper still in him? At the lodge or annihilated. The way that you say "good part," you know what that's I mean. That's I, I know you're what free you mean. to call me I, out. You're I, free I still to call contest me out, against it is because part, I think that that part that runs out with Dale Cooper mm-hmm. is as much as Dale Cooper as he was that. It simply is a point of him that let's just say gets flipped on its head, where these sort of impulses and this mm-hmm. more let's call it from our stance of morality, or at least mine, a darker form of Cooper that so is do you in believe a, uninhibited, is, if you will. Do you believe, then, that this Cooper is inhabiting the body or that the body are separate? I Okay. <laughs> Here's the best way that I can describe yeah. it. Yeah. Okay? I'm saying that there's a point with mental health that someone could be far less in control in their body Mm -hmm. than what many people would be on their day-to-day. It's not to say that one person is fully in control of their own body, but that still is their person. I still think that this other side of Cooper is simply a more uninhibited, a more chaotic, Mm -hmm. and perhaps one driven by mania or some form of... So in a sense, this is the real Cooper. This is the real Cooper. It is just a highlight of this mm. unfortunately shattered mentally Cooper, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's the best way that I can describe it, just because this is not how uh, Cooper would traditionally behave if he was fully in his mind. Okay. And I think that that is what some creatures like Bob prey off of, if not are a part of, as we kind of mm. like wheel back to something like sure. Rosenfeld's line in the middle of the season. Which line? You know, the one in which he says maybe Bob is just the evil in man. Okay, that's what I thought, but I didn't know if you'd want to reference that line I, since you I hate that moment. I don't like the episode, but I think that that is not necessarily the answer. Right. But I think it is a hint yeah. or something that it's lead on it's, trail. It's an, an interpretation that could lead you down to an a truth. Yes. Maybe not the truth, but maybe a truth. not the truth, but a truth. And then we get Cooper with Bob masterfully, Frank Silva and Kyle McLaughlin, they had to mirror each other behind a sheet of glass. Yes. Like I looked into that and I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Because they had to time it perfectly so that they both turned their heads at the right time and both kind of mirroring each other. Although we see a different facial reaction. Frank Silva's Bob is looking kind of neutral to menacing. He's putting it in that gear. (laughs) Whereas we get Kyle McLaughlin's Cooper uh, almost savoring the ridicule. How's Annie? How's Annie? <laughs> How's Annie? Just clearly enjoying almost this this mockery. If there is any shred of Cooper in there, there's pain, and I think the other part of Cooper is enjoying that pain. Mm-hmm. It's almost a self, it's like a leech enjoying its own misery, now drinking its own blood. Now, and I think that's an, a fantastic and great scene. Mm-hmm. But let's go back now. Back I think the, the past. I think the Samurai Jack. Yes. I think the most important aspect of this is Cooper's reactions. Mm. Throughout all the scenes, through what he's seen, through all the screaming, all the yelling, all the shock, mm-hmm. even Wyndham Earl stabbing him, I would argue Cooper has hardly had much of a reaction. Still facial expressions, mind yeah. you, but hardly of a physical reaction he to anything. He says no even, word except for Wyndham Earl. 
only to Wyndham Earl, in yes. which he says, I will. And even when Bob is present, even when he takes this man that he's known for so long, basically the uh, conclusion of the case his, that he's sought for. His mentor. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sapped of soul. He looks at the situation. And when Bob says for him to go, he starts to leave. It's not in a rush yet. No. He just starts to leave. Only when Cooper sees himself. Mm-hmm does he start to run? And I think that that's very important. I think that there is a lot to say about Cooper, especially with how he treats his own life, mm -hmm. especially and uh, how he sort of treats his, let's say, past and his condition and how he may even put so much blame on himself. The biggest thing that he runs from, the biggest thing that is the biggest issue is himself. He is much more afraid of himself than any other force there is. I feel that if there is that belief that you said with Cooper seeing Bob in the mirror and then crashing his head as like one potential interpretation, seeing that and trying to fight back, I think he can face Bob. Mm -hmm. But when he sees himself, I think that there's so much blame with everything that happened with Carolyn. I think that there is so much blame that he puts himself on in the job. And I think that there's so much of himself that he does not really push or acknowledge as much even down to the potential wound he experienced when passing out and mm -hmm. what happened, that that is his greatest weakness. And that unpushed, unhandled baggage is the weight that puts him back enough that A, he is unable to escape from the Black Lodge, but also B, that he could not pass to a White Lodge if one is to exist or go through the sake of purity because, yeah, no, he is his greatest enemy. In the sake, he caught up to himself in the end, and maybe we could even say something more with Bob because if it's if what I believe that all these doppelgangers may be very mm. much an extension of Bob, maybe that's where also Bob is very enticed with Cooper, and he tries to latch on to what I imagined could be a sense of fear, a sense of regret. Mm -hmm. I, I I think that there can be a discussion with Bob and that, and there's also the idea with <laughs> all these doppelgangers. I'm thinking that. Uh... We know that David Lynch likes to use fishing metaphors quite a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he caught a big one on the lure. <laughs> I think he felt a tug on the line for quite some time. Yes. And he doesn't mind using some smaller fish to reel in a big catch. Oh, boy. I mean, that could very well be a case. I, I do wonder, again, if we think of Wyndham Earl as someone to lure in, as Annie someone to lure in, you know, how far has Bob slash the Lodge been planning this? To what extent have people like Wyndham Earl and Annie been used? Mm -hmm. Maybe Jean Renault was right. Maybe <laughs> things were a little simpler before Cooper was there. Maybe. Not better. <laughs> Maybe simpler, though. Um, what did you think of... I, I don't have many words to reply that could top what you said. So I, I yeah, more was going to... You, you, win. you win Twin Peaks. I won Twin You Peaks. are Miss Twin Peaks now. I did it. I said I was going to do it to the podcast, and I did it. You are now the podtagonist. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've earned this. I was going to ask what you thought of the credits, the replacing of the photograph of Laura Palmer with the cup of Joe <laughs> that gradually morphs in a moving graphical interface image of the gif, the moving picture of Laura. I think the fact that uh, with Cooper being served coffee, with Cooper uh, really enjoying coffee, and we have the black coffee, black as possible, as versus with things like the 
ending his nights on the mm-hmm. delicious pure white milk. I think that the black coffee is a good little mirror. Something that can give, certainly give you energy, but what some might call bitter well, form of the Black Lodge. It, it might even be a very important key if we go by the theory that we've talked about, um, that this was the moment his soul was clearly tested. That when he was testing out the coffees and when the man of the place was kind of judging him about it, that very same cup of coffee on that very same platform we see it on in the credits, that was the cup of coffee that reflected Cooper's soul and his, uh, his wishy-washy ways. So to see Laura in there, the one who screamed, and he immediately bolted out and was bleeding, mm-hmm. I, I do wonder if that isn't being drawn a connection that the litmus test of Cooper's soul is reflecting the victim he couldn't help. Mm-hmm. No matter what he's done, mm-hmm. he was already too late the moment the first episode aired. Yeah, but let's also talk about Leland. I'm sure. Now, if I like, I like I mentioned, alluded to before, with everything that happened with Bob, and if I am to assume, especially since Cooper's doppel catches up to Cooper, and we see Bob present, if using the reflection is like that link that Bob can latch onto someone, mm-hmm. and that's how Bob is transported, are we to assume doppel Leland? is either a remnant of Leland and is speaking for Leland <laughs> or is it Bob speaking for Leland? Because the thing is, right. is that if maybe it could be whatever Bob is interpreting it, what Bob is, whatever he may be, whatever he's supposed to be a representation of, maybe Bob is just saying that it was not my fault. That I did not kill Laura Palmer. That, that was still Leland. Right. I simply was a catalyst at the forum. That was still his actions. Or maybe if it could be inverse <laughs> that with Leland saying, I did not kill yeah. Laura Palmer, despite with his final words right. and like realization, it could be a sense of uh, this very mental illness, this very yeah. mental lack of ability right. was the thing that drove him to madness uh, and that should have been more addressed in his life. I think there's a non-zero chance and fairly sizable chance that it doesn't even matter which way it goes because it's like saying, hey, I didn't kill the person. The bullet from my gun killed the person. I, I feel like either way, <laughs> I, I don't know how much that distinction actually matters. I think it matters for a viewer. I think, I think that, it does. I think that when it comes down, it's not just like asking for the bullet, but I think that when it's considered in one light, it's a question of addressing more for or uh, an idea of mental illness and uh, right. how that may need to be addressed. While another viewer might take this as a sensation of, there's so much we don't know about Leland. There's so much yes. we uncovered at the moment. What was Leland fully like yes. outside of Laura Palmer? And this is a question that the show chooses to leave us open on. Yeah. It does not pick a side. It does not distinguish the percent Bob and the percent Leland in that mixture. If, if, you, if you can't tell, it's I'm giving it a chef's kiss. Uh, you can now, chef's kiss Leland all the way to the Black Lodge. Now, mind you, I'm in the area of uh, a dual interpretation in my right. head because, of course, I think I think you have illness, to do both. Yeah. You have to... You have to recognize that Twin Peaks has spiritual elements mm-hmm. and Twin Peaks has reality and mental health. Yes. It is a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. So when I say it doesn't matter, I mean in the sense that both parties are guilty. Both parties have blood in their hands. Yes. And the actual like answer isn't achievable. Mm-hmm. There is no answer. I don't believe there is. Mm-hmm. The answer is both to some degree and we're always left in the dark about how much each. Absolutely. So I think it's a good question, and Thank I think you. you're right that it matters for viewers. Thank you. When I say it doesn't matter, I don't mean to discount that. <laughs> With that being said, Professor, I have two wonderful and strange questions of the week for you. Uh, well, clearly, I'm the protagonist, so I can answer these with the full truth. Question number one. Question number one. Excellent. How's Annie? 
<laughs> um, I'm hoping she's doing okay. What do you believe? Annie. What do you believe is Annie's fate? You've made a lot of predictions in this episode earlier about the future of characters. Where do you see Annie in the future? Annie's okay. Okay. I think that obviously she needs to go to the hospital. And I think that the idea that Annie was injured in a very similar way to Maddie mm-hmm. s- with like blood on top of the forehead, like Missoula, Montana mm-hmm. situation. I think that she's doing okay because I don't know the overall presence of Bob with Maddie personally. Mm-hmm. I think that since that she's in the hospital and she is recovering, this bodes much better than, well, what ended mm-hmm. with Maddie. And I'm wondering necessarily how Bob sort of treats the area of target. I think that there's still things Annie needs to work through. I don't think that she's fully white lodge material, Mm. but we also have to consider the way that Annie entered was far different than Wyndham Earl or Cooper. Mm -hmm. So that's utterly fascinating on how I would almost argue welcoming the place was to Cooper. Mm -hmm. So it wanted him. (laughs) It was, (laughs) wanted to have him visit more than anything. Meanwhile, Annie seemed to be something else to the Lodge. And I think that that is a question that I'm probably going to chew on for much longer. I feel like it will not be the last time we bring this up. Uh, My next question, the wonderful strength treasure of the week, and my last one for the entire season, and you could argue series, who killed Laura Palmer? You see, this is where I was talking about the Leland thing, and now this is making things complicated. Bringing it back now, y'all. Bringing it back. Three hops this time. It's very likely, as you mentioned before, what could be considered a combination, a shared situation between Leland and Bob. I think that there is... Also, I would all argue that there's outer responsibilities that I don't know who could have reached through. Mm-hmm. I think that in extension... If this is a concern towards Leland's mental well-being, I could also probably extend some words to someone like Benjamin Horn, dark mm-hmm. as his soul may be, but he's probably the person who was around Leland the most, but also was out of the context of family yeah. that may have been less in control. I mean, Leland literally drugged his wife, Sarah. Yeah. I don't think he drugged Benjamin Horn. Right. So I think that... Unfort- An albatross hangs upon Ben's neck, let us say. <laughs> Potentially. Really, it's a sad, sad reality that a man that I would almost call very alone in his own world mm-hmm. is caught with such ailments mm. that twisted him to a point that caused such pain for those around him. I'm not going to really acknowledge his actions and saying, poor you, as he strangles Laura Palmer and beats down Maddie. I think that there's still that essence of Bob, and I still think that's that essence of him. It's just without the presence of Bob and whatever happened in his past to lead to Bob, I wonder what man Leland would have been. Mm. And so there's a pity that almost remains around Leland, a very tragic figure that also is very, not only charismatic, but in also other ways despicable. It's it's a lot of layers. It's a lot of layers that go through my head. I look forward to hearing you cut this onion apart as we explore in the next few episodes of our podcast, The Secret Die of Laura Palmer and Firewalk With Me, which I'm sure will have a lot of Laura content and a lot of Leland content that might get your mind reeling in the appropriate directions. In the meantime, listener, it has been 
a pleasure of ours to have you join us on this journey so far. We hope that you have had a good time. And this is your last chance to send us your questions for our upcoming Look Back episode, which we will have posted after Firewalk with me. And honestly, much love to you guys out there. Uh, I hope that wherever you are um, health-wise or just well-being-wise that you're doing well. And if it is not that case, that I hope that you are able to find help or if someone is able to assist you in that way. Um, really, I want to send as much love out there as possible. And I thank you so much for taking your time to listen to our podcast. I feel it is only appropriate that we end our episode today with a dual reflection, if you will, of the famous ending lines of this episode. <laughs> How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? She's okay. <laughs>